Welcome to the Dare to Care podcast, brought to you by HR Culture. And now here's your host, Susan Judd. Welcome everyone, I'm Susan Judd and this is the Dare to Care podcast. As you may know, this season I'm interviewing women in leadership and gaining their perspectives on their experiences in the workplace and what they truly believe are the key skills for success that will assist our Generation Zs and in particular our young women to not only transition successfully into the workplace but also find their purpose and passion and really bring some value to our uh, to our workplaces. For many years I've worked with employers and leaders in business to enhance and amplify their leadership skills to build more effective and productive workplaces through improved communication, human connection and courage. During this time, it became apparent that we needed to really invest in helping our youth, our current Generation Z, to better transition from school to work by developing their work readiness skills to really provide them with the opportunity to reach their potential, including an area I'm really passionate about, emotional intelligence. Why? Because emotional intelligence is all about how we effectively and intelligently interpret our negative emotions things like stress, frustration, disappointment and so on to enhance how we make decisions, how we behave and ultimately how we perform in the workplace. And as I've shared previously, the Dare to Care podcast has the ultimate purpose of providing information, advice and perspective on how we can all work towards a future that is enhanced through emotional emotional intelligence and for employers creating environments that engage and help our younger workers reach their potential under, under your guidance and perhaps provide some important and broad insights for our younger workers to assist them to navigate the workplace with communication, courage and care. So today I will be asking my guests the same five questions as I have previous guests drawing out the best of what our ladies in leadership have to offer us. We will be asking our female guests in each episode this season about the challenges they've experienced in the workplace, their most memorable moments from the workplace, what they have learned about employer expectations at work and how they have then managed those, what they see as the critical skills that are needed for the future of work and what is their best Advice for other young women entering the workplace. So I am very pleased to have with me today the entrepreneurial go-getter and customer-centred guru, Nick McClanahan. Now, I have known Nick for about six or seven years professionally, and I've always been inspired by her enthusiasm and her zest for life. So it's no surprise, really, that when season two arrived, and I decided to do a series on ladies in leadership, that Nick was one of the first people I thought thought to invite as a guest. By day, Nick is the founder and CEO of an organisation called Human Experience, a business that came to life in 2016 quite by accident. At the time, Nick owned and operated another organisation called Human Tribe, which is a company that's based on building the performance of people for her clients and ensuring that those clients get the best out of their teams. And so while she was doing that, a couple of Nick's clients asked her if she'd considered doing some mystery shopping for them. 
And it's now fair to say that Nick has never looked back from that, from that point in time. By nights and on weekends, Nick is a wife and a mum to three kids and a cat. And you'll often hear her describe her life as crazy beautiful, but she really wouldn't have it any other way. Something that our Gen Zs are often inspired by are employers that give back and have, have a social conscience. So in 2016, Nick and her wife Lisa partnered with The Hunger Project and to date they've raised or donated over $100,000 for a community in Malawi to, to help them reach self-reliance. In 2019, Nick also raised nearly 10 grand for cancer research and prevention by running her first half marathon in New Zealand and her first full marathon, wait for it, in New York uh, with, with the Can2 Foundation. So Nick has lots to offer us listeners um, and I can't wait to get into these five questions and gain her perspectives in these five areas. So without further ado, I'd like to extend a very warm welcome to Nick McClanahan for joining us on today's episode. Hi, Susan. <laughs> Hi. Uh, Nick, we're here today. <laughs> we're going to be asking you our five questions about your views and perspectives of leadership, your experiences of the workplace and any advice you might have for our Generation Zs. So before we get into asking you those five questions, can I please start by asking you to tell us just a little bit about yourself and about your businesses or about your business? Yeah, sure. Um, so my business that I founded um, four years ago now is Human Experience and we're a bespoke mystery shopping company. And what that means is we actually measure the sales, service and compliance um, standards of the organisations that we work with. And the whole idea is that we provide them with feedback so that they can shift the behaviour of their team in order to improve the results. So that's, that's my business and um, we love it. Um, we love really making that positive impact um, to people and to managers and to organisations. Um, in terms of a little bit about me, I guess when I'm not working... Um, you probably hear me describe my life as a bit crazy beautiful. So I've got three kids between the ages of seven and 12, um, married with a very active life. I just started running uh, at the ripe old age of 44. I completed my first marathon last year in New York. Um, I live in beautiful Bondi. Um, yeah, so life, life is good. I, I really enjoy business, but I also really cherish personal time with my family and close friends. Excellent. Um, and, yes, by the way, I did know you had completed that marathon in New York, so a massive congratulations for that. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I've never been a runner before. I actually had five operations on my foot a few years ago that meant that I could run for the first time in 20 years, and I always swore if, I could run, I'd run a marathon, and then I was like, damn, I've said that too many times. Um, but I tell you, um, I ran actually with an organisation called Can2 who raised money for cancer uh, research and prevention. And that 20-week program, um, I'm not a good runner, I'm not a natural runner, and it was so great for me to really work at something that I'm not naturally good at because I think... You know, as you get older, you just do things that you're good at. And, man, it pushed me and every part of my mind and body 
Um, so it was, a, it was a really incredible experience. Mm. Sounds fascinating. That's a different, that's a, that's a topic for a different podcast. That whole, <laughs> yeah. you know, doing things outside of your comfort zone and really sticking with it. Yeah, all yeah, absolutely. And all, the, and all of the learnings that you can get from that. So that, that, we'll park that for another time. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's get into asking you our five questions, Nick. Um, and, you know, I've explained to our listeners why I ha I've got you here because you've got oodles of experience um, across, you know, multiple different, uh, you know, across your career experience. Um, and also, you know, kind of, uh, and I've called you just so you know, a bit of an entrepreneurial go-getter. So, um, <laughs> so I think you've got some really interesting perspectives to offer our our Generation Zs and our young women who are entering our workplaces. So, um, as our lady, as one of our ladies in leadership, my first question to you is: What are some of the challenges that you've experienced in the workplace throughout your career? Definitely a plethora of challenges, um, but I, I think, you know, for the purpose of this podcast, I really thought about young women entering the workplace and um, I've definitely experienced sexism um, in the forms of exclusion and inappropriate behaviour and working in HR, I had a HR career for over 10 years, I've handled sexual harassment cases and I've definitely um, been witness to some biased decision-making, both conscious and unconscious. And unfortunately, I think even now in, in 2020, the statistics in Australia indicate that this is still a really ongoing issue, right, with the underrepresentation of women in senior roles and things like the gender pay gap. Yeah. Um, and this is a real challenge for young women entering the workforce, right? So you... you, you you don't have as much of a voice or seemingly don't have as much of a voice and, you know, it's, it's hard um, if there is discrimination or sexism in the workplace. I guess what I would say is I was in some ways fortunate to grow up with three older brothers um, and I was always treated like an equal in my family and then I attended a high school that had a ratio of five boys to every one girl. So... Because of the way I was brought up, I always genuinely saw myself as an equal. Like I just didn't, I probably wasn't as aware of uh, the conscious and unconscious bias that existed because I just didn't see it. I didn't grow up that way. Yeah. And I think that really helped me um, by default. Um, and I, I saw myself as just as capable as anyone else. And that's the advice that I would give young women entering the workforce with that. Like, walk, walk in there and know that you are just as capable, um, no matter what your gender is, no matter what your age is, as anyone else in the room. Um, and, but I, I think that's a challenge. Now, you know, in my 40s and 20-plus years into my career, I see it as my responsibility and any, you know, leaders or, or women that are that little later in their career to be really um, promoting and ensuring that there is inclusion and diversity. Um, I see that as my responsibility and I have actively and will always actively support women wherever I can. And that's not to the exclusion of men. 
um, but we are underrepresented. You know, you look at, are you talk about entrepreneurs, you know, women statistically receive such a minute percentage of um, capital, venture capital, as opposed to male-led businesses, yet statistically a lot of female businesses, led businesses perform better. You know, um, so I think it's really important that we support each other. And, you know, I know I've already recommended a couple of other incredible women to be on this podcast for you and I'll continue to do those kind of things because I think it's a challenge that we need to we need to crack um so yeah that's definitely a challenge unfortunately that I've seen and I think unfortunately that still exists yeah um you're actually you're the first person that I've interviewed um on the podcast series oh since I've been recording actually that's brought up the um, challenges of um, sexism, exclusion, um, bias, but whether conscious or unconscious, etc. I know it exists because I've worked with clients in educating um, teams around bias, and um, and I know it's still prevalent. Um, but it's interesting that it's the first time it's come up as a as a challenge. So thank you, um, thank you for calling it out and sharing sharing your experience. Um, so, on the flip side, I guess, what is your most memorable moment from the workplace? <laughs> um, yeah, I guess when you've been around for as long as me, there's, there's quite a few. Um, I think early in my career, and again, I'm trying to, trying to relate what I share with you to young women entering the workforce, um, it would be when I was promoted to HR manager and I was only 23 and it wasn't an easy path. I had worked and studied my bob off like a lot of um, people have at that point for five years after leaving school um, and being given that role was a dream come true and I'll share a bit of a backstory on that. So I, like a lot of young people, I worked at McDonald's, I, you know, I flipped burgers, I was a crew trainer when I was still at high school. And then my franchisee promoted me to assistant manager when I was studying hospitality, um, which was you know, a bit of a coup. I was pretty excited about that. And it was in my first semester studying hospitality management that I heard about um, this thing called a human resources career, and I had never heard of it before. And I was just like, I vocationally fell in love with the concept, um, that the idea that you, know, you could help try and find that win-win between employees and employers and get the best out of people and deliver profit and, and be that conduit. I, I was really, straight away, it was just like, that's me, that's what I want. And um, I went to my franchisee and said, you know, are there any career paths this way? And he said, oh, you know, there's the HR director at McDonald's head office I'm happy to refer you to. And I was only 18 and I just wanted to know what the options were or how I could career path it. And this lady spoke to me and she was very kind, giving, giving me her time. But she basically said to me, don't, don't send me your details until such time as you have an undergraduate degree. Right. I'm like 18 and I've got two years in front of me with my hospitality management diploma and then probably another at least two to three years to get an undergraduate degree, which I was more than willing to do. But basically she wasn't willing to speak to me again until I had that. Wow. Um, and I was just like, no, nah, no, nah, that's kind of not good enough for me. And so I went to my franchisee and I said, right, 
So part of HR is very much about training and coaching. So I'd like to volunteer my time 15 hours a week to basically run the training function of this store, which I did. Um, and then I trained all of the crew trainers. I developed a program. I then rolled that out into his other three stores. 12 months later, he made it a paid role, part-time role, while I was still assistant managing. And then I got my first HR role um, as a HR kind of admin assistant when I was 20. I was still studying my undergraduate degree. Then I got a HR officer role at 21. And then when I was still studying, I was a HR manager at 23. Um, So uh, that was a real, and it was a, a new hotel opening. It was in 1999 before the Sydney Olympics. Um, and yeah, so that, that was hard fought and it was a real moment to, and I think I would have, yeah, I hadn't even finished my degree. So there I was in a HR manager role before the lady that I'd spoken to would never have spoken to me. So that was a real career highlight. Wow. And great story too, by the way, just the whole tenacity and the, I love how you said I vocationally fell in love with the whole idea of conduiting between employees and employers to get the best out of people love it excellent okay great memorable moments excellent okay so let's move on to our third question which is all about employer expectations actually what have you learned about employer expectations at work and and how you've had to manage them over the years yeah and I think look I'm fortunate enough that I get to work directly with our clients who are Some employ thousands of people, some employ hundreds, and I have my own team as well. I think the first thing is the expectation is come ready to learn, Um, but not just, you know, learn in your first three months and then think you've got it. Actually come with a mindset that you'll be constantly learning. Um, And I think that is an expectation of employers, um, particularly even more so today because things are, you know, things are constantly changing. Um, And with that, I think, comes the expectation of employees being adaptable. And to me, adaptable means also coming with that mindset of being positively open to change. Like don't go moaning and complaining and talking about, oh, we sh- but should, we should be doing this, this isn't right. Like, actually come ready to learn and also be positively open to when change needs to happen. Um, so I, I'd say that. Um, I think be ready and willing to get your hands dirty and do some crappy jobs. Like, even in senior roles, man, I have done some crappy, repetitive, boring, like, stick needles in your eyes and suck my soul jobs and still doing my own business today so you know get that you might be coming with a double degree get that you might be you know graduating with honors get that you've probably done some hard yards and some part like understand all of that but also I if you can come with a mindset that when you need to do that you'll continue to do that in your career I think that will definitely help um and probably the last thing I would say would be um, when you encounter a problem or a roadblock, before you escalate it, before you tell your line manager or your leader about it, think about what some possible solutions to that problem could be. 
Um, I often will, I, when I, I employ a lot of junior people, always have, I really enjoy um, the process of onboarding someone, giving someone an opportunity um, and seeing them grow. And I'll often say, you know, don't, don't, um, don't, don't bring me, don't, don't give me the labor, bring me the baby with three different names. Like I want you to actually think about this and say, this is a problem. I've thought about it. And I think we could maybe solve it one of two or one of three ways versus Nick, we've got this problem. I don't know what to do. Um, and I, I observe employers and leaders and I see that that's often what they're frustrated from is people not doing some independent thinking of how they could potentially move forward. Yeah, okay, independent thinking. Let's hashtag independent thinking, hey? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's a, and you know, from my work, um, working with, you know, kind of uh, year 11, year 10, 11 students, um, you know, we're working with them on, and these are some of the questions they've got. They might not ask it that way, but where, how are they required to independently think in, um, in workplaces? And you've just given a really good um, example of that when you've got a problem, um, whether it's a problem with a person or a problem with uh, or something operational or something not working for you, um, have a think about have a think about it and um, come up with a few ideas about possible ways to resolve that issue rather than just the um, laying the problem in the lap of the of the supervisor or business owner or manager or whoever you're reporting to. Um, abs, abs, I couldn't agree more. With, like we talk about that with our kids all the time. Like if they can't, like, have you thought about what a solution could be? No. Okay, go away and come back and think about it. Um, yeah. And it, it shows, like, some, a leader in business has a lot on their mind, and so there's a, there's a heavy cognitive load. So if you can show that you're willing to do some of that cognitive load lifting you know, and that you've thought about things and, and what you suggest might not be the solution. But the fact that you can show that you've already done some of that independent thinking, you know, it, it's, a, it's a huge asset um, to both the you and the leader and the organisation. I, I think it's a big one. Yeah, I do too. Um, and, you know, in a, you know, in a different context, I would call that, you know, the simple concept of having above-the-line thinking and behaviour. Um, yeah. You know, we're not laying blame and justifying, but we're actually thinking about the solutions, the problems, we're being positive influence in the workplace, all of those sorts of things. So, um, and it's, it, it, I think it's interesting because it's, it's not something on, this, on the five questions, but then just the discussion is prompting me to, to think about and ask you, <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot, yeah. You know, but when young people go into the workplace and they have that mindset and they yeah. come up against colleagues, uh, you know, that they're interacting with that might not have that same mindset, you know. So they, we're, you know, we're encouraging our young, pe our young people and our young women to go into the workplace and have um, this, this uh, ready-to-learn mindset, this adaptability to changes and, yep. and you know anticipation of, of of changes and this willingness to come with solutions and then they're you know perhaps working with people who have been in the workplace a lot longer but have lost those capacities. Um, so yeah. you know that that's that's a tough gig for young people because it it's just, a really tough gig. Quite discouraging. And, and 
Well, I, I know I've worked in organisations, you know, someone fresh comes in and they'll say, oh, where I, uh, what about this? What about we try this? And like, oh, we've tried that. You haven't been here long enough to know. Oh, we've yeah. tried that, you know. Um, I think... I think if it's your peers or other colleagues that you're working with, you know, just, just I would I would continue the motor on. I think the challenge would be is if your line manager was dismissive. I think that would be particularly challenging and where you may need to, you know, we, we know, Susan, we've been around long enough that people don't leave organisations, they leave managers. Correct. Um, and, you know, absolutely give it your best shot, but at some point you might need to make a different decision if that's what you're hitting in your mind manager. Yeah. Um, absolutely. But you absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, you will hit it. Ex- expect it. Yeah, um, we, we all people- have, haven't we? We've all hit it at some point in another and and we've had to make that tough decision, even if it happens to be a job that we really enjoy. Um, the enjoyment yep. gets sucked out of you because you keep hitting this um, barrier um, of perhaps your supervisor or your manager or even might even be your business owner who's been in business a long time and had a lot of hits, right? Um, yeah. So therefore you sometimes need to make those tough decisions and I guess part of my purpose in this podcast, which I've never really articulated, is that I want young people to know and recognise when they've got a good supervisor or manager and when they yeah. haven't, you know, so that yeah. they know there's better out there, so that they know they don't have to work in an environment where they feel disempowered, where they feel undervalued and unheard, that there are people out there that will value them. I know they might feel like they're few and far between at some sometimes, but I, you know there's great people, there's great leaders out there. Um, we've just got to find. Fine, and do you know what, Susan? I think sometimes we we chase. I've seen people chase aspirational brands that they want to work for, or or industries that they really, yeah. and that doesn't mean that they'll have strong leaders or line managers. You know, often the best people are found in organisations that you will have never heard of, you know, organisations that are small. So I think it's being really open-minded to... That is a gift, to work with a strong line manager and a good leader, um, a good business owner is a true gift. So um, I think that's an important consideration in your career. And then you're going to learn from someone like that as well. Of course, because they're going to invest. In, they're certainly going to invest in the relationship um, yep. of you know of what you bring to that to that business or that organisation. Yeah, excellent. I love it. Um, okay, let's move on to question four. What do you see as the critical skills that we need to be building? Our young people need to be building for the future of work. <laughs> um, Susan, you're going to laugh at my first answer. But hands down, without a doubt, number one, self-awareness. Yeah. Right. Absolutely number one. So it's a key, it's a key obviously, emotional, emotional intelligence skill. And what this looks like, because a lot of people talk about self-awareness and they know what it doesn't look like um, when someone's not self-aware. But that's about really listening to input even asking for input and being curious 
You know, I used to, um, for several years, I used to own and operate three Fernwood Women's Health Clubs. So uh, myself and my brother and his wife were in business and we had 150 staff across these three sites and we had a pretty big sales and sales is hard. Gym sales is hard. And, you know, I'd, I'd work with my sales team to say, at the end of the day, ask yourself, what did I do well today and what can I do better tomorrow? Like just to be constantly thinking about what you could do better and how others others may see you and how others may be impacted by you um, and trying different things. But um, it's it's obviously a skill that increases naturally over time. Um, and so for, you know, younger people entering the workforce, if you ever get an opportunity to do a self-assessment on how you operate, you know, both Susan and I are DISC accredited um, or do something like a Genos assessment or a Clifton Strengths Finder, like just to get an understanding of what your strengths are and how you operate and then what the impact of that is, um, is absolutely critical, I think, in the workplace. Um, and a real asset if you can get some insight into that and then apply those learnings early on in your career. Mm. Um, I'd say the second thing is, I've already spoken about it, is adaptability. And for me, there's three things to adaptability. It's the ability to adjust quickly and positively. Like if I could sum up adaptability, that's what it would be. It's the ability to adjust quickly and positively. Um, The third thing would be, I think it's a critical skill is this one's hard to articulate. I call it psychological ownership. So no matter if your job is a checkout chick at Coles, own it. And if you're going to do a good job, do a good job and do it. Um, or if you've been given a, a big project for the first time, it's a real step up, own it. If you say you're going to deliver, deliver. That real psychological ownership, I think, is a critical skill. Mm. Um, and then finally, it's a really basic one, but it's communication and being really clear and concise. You know, don't overdo it, but also don't underdo it either. Um, but if, if ever if someone said, how do I communicate well, you know, when I'm starting out my career, clear and concise, don't overdo it, but don't underdo it. Yeah. Yeah, and anyway, you know, when we think about communication, it's so broad anyway, isn't it? It's clear and concise, yep. but then you have to align the body language with the look on your face, with the tone of your voice and the words that yep. are coming out. So um, it's it's a whole, it's across all of those different verbal and non-verbal styles all at once, um, whilst maintaining clear and concise. And I think, um, you know, also the, you know, when we think about communication, it's then the listening and the asking questions. So, oh, yeah, very much. You know, if you're talking yep. too much, because I know people are finding their feet when they first enter the workplace. And based on your first point of self-awareness and understanding mm-hmm. my communication style, am I an over-talker or am I, or don't I, or I'm such an overthinker that I don't maybe sometimes say what's on my mind. So there's a happy medium there, right? There's a definitely a happy medium between putting your, you know, putting your ears to work and, you know, resting your mouth. But then, so, you know, but then 
when the time is right, you need to participate in that conversation as well. So it's and, and, and that can be really difficult for young people to even be aware of what they're like. Oh, I, I couldn't have, and that's why one of those assessments can be so helpful. But do you know what? If even if you don't have access to one of those assessments, observe other people. Mm. Observe what you respect. Observe what seems to be effective. Yeah. Um, yeah, so and pay attention to, and, to the people around you. Yeah. 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 Like step outside yourself, uh, and that, that's again. I think those two actually, Susan, you hit it on the head there. Communication links directly back to that self awareness. Yeah, definitely. Because you know, even and it's really interesting because you and I both know that those two skills together aren't that common in the workplace. No. No. <laughs> Uh, you know, that, like when you find somebody who is A, self-aware and B, a great communicator, you never want to leave them. You, ne you know, no. you want to be around that person because they empower you, um, they, they, understand, they, have, they typically have a bit of empathy for you and they can see different perspectives. It, there's so many great things. So if that, you know, certainly in terms of skills to build, because there's lots of, in any workplace you and I have ever been in, employers want to improve the communication skills across the workplace. In any satisfaction yep. survey we've ever done, communication always comes up in the top, you know, things that we need to work on um, in, in workplaces. And so, you know, we have to take that, that, even that, I love your word, psychological ownership, even of our own communication. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know obviously it's a moment in time that we're speaking at the moment, but with everything that's happened with COVID and everyone going virtual, um, there's obviously a lot more virtual meetings. So there's communication that's very different to being in person. Um, but then there's also a lot more written communication. Like I still, after all my years in my career, I will still absolutely take my time with um, being very mindful around how an email is worded. Yes. Like I'm yeah. so, because I, 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 I am constantly thinking about how will this be received? Is it clear? Have I said enough and have I said not too much? Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think as potentially the world does go a little bit more virtual, it's probably even more important to hone in on that. Mm. Because it's the, the critical, you know, the, that whole piece of communication is that critical skill that then connects us in a human way, you know, without... Yeah. So, so even when you start talking about virtual, when we're all doing Zooms, and let's face it, we're on one, um, you know, so we need to... It's a, it's it's kind of a, a different skill set or a more intense skill set to be able to still connect in a way that we would do face-to-face, -face, being able to yeah. gain some of that over, over, over Zoom, right, because yeah. we aren't... You know we're not we're not together, so you know you haven't got some of those nuances of body language or facial expression that um, you know that you would typically have face to face. So yeah, it's really important absolutely. That we try to build that kind of human connection piece as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. love this conversation. I'm enjoying it. I hope our listeners are. <laughs> uh, okay, so I think you know. So let's just recap your 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 four critical skills because they were self awareness adaptability and adjusting quickly and positively, that psychological ownership of owning the job that you're in, um, 
and being having really clear and concise communication. And I think, frankly, I think they all are connected. Um, yeah. They feel, they feel really awesomely connected because, you know, taking that psychological ownership um, of a role means that you will you'll be responsible, right? You'll be responsible. You'll be accountable. You'll do what you say you're going to do. Um, and if you need to adapt, you will do it. And if you need to communicate, you will. You know, so they're all kind of really connected. I love it. So I know that as we've been going through our questions, uh, my questions to you, you've kind of been providing advice at, on, the, on the hop, I think. But with yeah. that in mind, um, our, our final question is, um, what, what would be your best advice that you have for young women entering um, today's workplace? And... Uh, whether that's recapping things that you've already maybe said or something new that you haven't told us yet. Yeah, um, yeah there's definitely some links back, I think. The first would be to say yes. If you're given an opportunity and it aligns to your values, just say yes and work out the details later. The most incredible things that have happened in my career have been when I've just said yes. And I can think of two immediate examples. One was, um, it was in 2015, it was through Business Chicks that I'm a member of, a great networking um, organisation for women. And they asked for expressions of interest to go on their very first leadership gathering to Necker Island, which is Richard Branson's island. And I applied and I got an automated email back to say, you know, we've had over a thousand applications. I thought, oh, okay, well, that's the end of that. And then the founder of that business, Emma Isaacs, emailed me and said, hey, Nick, here's all the info, dates and costs. If you want a spot, it's yours. And I looked at the, atta I looked at the attachment staring at me on the screen and I thought, if I open that, I'm going to think of every reason not to say no. Like I had three kids at that point, six and under, um, you know, had only had Human Tribe, my other business I sold last year, for a couple of years. You know, money was tight. Um, times were, you know, challenging as a working parent. And I had, you know, really no right to say yes. But I just thought, stuff it. And I wrote back and said, yep, I'm in. And then I opened the attachment and freaked out when I saw the cost and <laughs> yada, yada. But guess, but guess what? I made it happen. And that trip fundamentally changed every aspect of my life. The growth I've had since that leadership gathering was, and the, the friendships and the just astronomical. Um, and the other example I'd give you was, um, so my other business was Human Tribe. Um, we were all around human performance in business and a lot of coaching, a lot of facilitation, and we worked pretty closely with our clients. And within like a one-week period, two of our clients said to me, we're in pretty deep with them, really working on their customer service and their coaching. They said, would you mystery shop our businesses? I had no right to say yes. And I actually don't even know why I did say yes, but I, I just felt this aligns to, like, I, I'm really, I feel really strongly about this. I really enjoy working with these clients. And I said, yes, that is now my business. Yeah. So um, I just think sometimes we get in our heads and we overthink it. So if you're given an opportunity and it does align to your values, I think that's important. If you feel an, a value tug, don't go there. Yeah. But work the details out later. Um, I can't say that. And I think statistically as women, you look at the stats on, you know, who applies for promotions, 
and women think they have to have nine out of the ten criteria before they can even apply, whereas statistically a male will apply if they think they hit three out of the ten criteria. This is one of the reasons we have a lack of female leadership, right? Just back yourself and have a go, and if you're given the opportunity, say yes and work it out. Yeah. Um, The second thing I would say is to build a strong network. I don't think I valued the building networks early in my career. I had great friends, great family, and I didn't feel the need to really build a strong professional network. Um, Oh, my God, my network has changed my life. And, um, you know, I'm part of a few different communities. I mentioned Business Chicks, you know, that network and the the networks that I've built within that network. Um, But even, you know, other networks, we know each other through a network, Susan, through HR Coach Network. Um, You know, so crucial to your personal professional growth. Um, Nothing in business or your career can be done alone um, or personally for that, for that matter. You know, I, I spoke about that New York marathon. I did that with an organization. I had a coach. I had two mentors and I tell you, they were, they were the reason that I got across the line. Um, it's not something I could have done alone. Um, and the final piece of advice is to build your own doors when you need to. So when, if a door isn't opening or you can't find your door, Build it yourself if you have to. Create your own opportunities. You know, volunteer. Do a role for free. And I'm probably biased because of what I did, like the story I told you back at McDonald's. Yeah. But I think sometimes we can be a victim to our own careers not progressing enough versus proactively. What's to stop you from if you're in a great organization but you're in an admin role and you've got aspirations of, of going to the market, if it's marketing or whatever it might be, and saying, can I volunteer my time here? Can I do eight hours a week for you? Or approaching an organisation and say, I'll do a free internship for six months, whatever it might be. You've still got to pay the bills, still find a way to pay the bills. Mm. But if the doors aren't opening, build it yourself. I love that because it also links back to your first one, which was say yes. So... You know, it's kind of like when you say build your own door back yourself, um, you know, say say yes to you, you know, take responsibility and yeah. say and, and look for look for what your passion is and or, or what you where you really want to be and then kind of really use your initiative to to make an impression. And if that means, as you say, um, offering up your time to, to to demonstrate how important it is to you, then that that again that buys loyalty. Yeah, actually, and then you're building a network. I guess they're yeah. all connected, aren't they? They're all connected. Through, yeah, through that you're building a network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So you're saying, you know, you're you kind know, of saying yes to yourself. Yeah, mm. yeah. And you know, I um, I hired someone last year, one hour a day to do copy checks of our report. So it's basically checking our mystery shoppers' um, qualitative reports because often the reports are filled in on their phones and yes. just making sure that they're, it's worded well. Um, Emily has a double degree in, I couldn't even tell you off the top of my hat, but she's like super uber, like intellectually, way smarter than me. Anyway, she started on one, one hour a day 
she's now effectively running my business 12 months later. Wow. wow. And she's gone from one hour a day to pretty much full time. And I can tell you everything I've spoken about here today about being adaptable, being self-aware, um, good communication, you know, that psychological ownership, uh, coming forward with solutions whenever she hits a problem. Um, I actually, I honestly did not think about this until this moment, but, you know, she has lived that with me for the past 12 months. And I think, I think she's 23. Wow. Um, Look at that opportunity. Yeah. Just, it's come from one hour a week. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you've built, A, you've built the relationship. She's been able to demonstrate what she can do and the trust is there and the, clearly the communication is there and, you know, so it's worked that you've given, offered her more opportunity and more opportunity and that's kind of how yeah. it can roll. Yeah, yeah. When the values align like that. Yeah, yeah. Feel, and like now she's actually getting to work on stuff that she has studied for. And oh, that so is really nice. enjoying. Nice. Yeah. She's also doing some stuff she doesn't enjoy. <laughs> and we talk oh, about that. Life. We laugh about that. You know, some of that crappy stuff. But that's life. But that's life. We all like, do that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, feel yeah. Like, I feel like I know that your advice. No, it's your advice. It's your list of advice. <laughs> but I feel like adding one. <laughs> so this is now. Yeah, go. This is advice because your three have prompted me while we were talking. I'm thinking I, this week, this is something I talk in my, one of my networks about all the time is it's okay to feel like you're the dumbest person in the room, right? That's okay. Oh, my God. Because when you feel like you're the dumbest person in the room, there's so many opportunities to learn new stuff. Right. So, you know, so even in, you know, I'm in my 50s and even even when I'm around these people that are, you know, we're, we're a group, we call, we call ourselves biz, the business minds, you know, and we're all sharing ideas and we're from all different sized businesses and all different kind of industries and, you know, totally non-competitive and all of that stuff. And, um, you know, we sit there and we go, I, I sit there sometimes and then I think, oh, my God, I'm, I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm the dumbest person in the room and I'm okay to sit in those in that seat because yeah. when I'm feeling that way I'm just I've got my both ears open and my mouth shut pretty much and just taking in information and taking in different perspectives and you know we all have something to offer we will not always be feel or feel like the dumbest person in the room sometimes we'll be the person yeah. the people are listening to saying wow i didn't know anything about what that person knows about so I think yeah. it, anyway i don't yeah. know what you think about that it's just something that I oh think my god i have such a strong opinion about that i i 100 percent align and i have a saying just um <laughs> the smartest person in the room is never the person who thinks they're the smartest person in the room yes yeah because it means that they're open to learning and you know i um again i mentioned this before but spent those five days on necker island we had all different leaders incredible people come and speak to us from marianne uh, williamson to um jane who's the founder of dermalogica to matt mullenweg who's founded wordpress like these incredibly successful entrepreneurs have all came and spoke to us and Richard Branson is sitting there taking notes. Yeah. He's sitting wow. there learning. Wow. Right? I love it. I love and it. doesn't say much. Pretty actually, and, and you know what, when you speak to him, 
He doesn't want to talk about himself. He just wants to ask you questions. He's curious. Curious. Um, that's it. It's one yeah. of those skills so, of leadership that's often not focused on. It's not even it's not even talked about is being curious and asking lots of questions. Yeah. You know, it's a yeah. it's, it's actually a critical skill of leadership is ears open, mouth closed, you know, that whole seek uh, first to understand then be understood. So that whole Stephen Oh, could, and that comes around that self-awareness piece yeah. as well. But I, yeah. I could not agree more. Yeah. And there you go. There's our, <laughs> you had three pieces of best advice and I tagged one on the end. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Say yes. Build a strong network. Build your own door if you need to. And, you know, Susan's appendix. Uh, it's okay to feel like the dumbest person in the room. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hell so yeah. that's, our, that's our five questions, Nick. You've done. Awesome. That was fun. It's fun, right? It's, you know, and it just brings up, you've, there's so many good ideas um, that, you've talked about in answering your questions. So I want to say thank you for spending time with me today, sharing your experiences. And, you know, I know that the word journey is often overused these days, but, you know, that whole journey through um, your your career, if you will, you started, you know, you kind of started yourself in Macca's and the opportunities, McDonald's and the opportunities you had there and took us, you know, through some of your other experiences. Um, you've, I, f I feel like you've provided us with some great advice and some amazing insights for, um, uh, for, for women in the workplace, not just women in leadership. Um, I think you've also, I think we also need to consider the fact that, you know, for the guys um, listening to our podcast, there's some really critical information that we've talked about uh, for them as well. Um, you know, if you're, if you're leading and managing women in the workplace, if you're interacting with women, um, it's really important to understand some of those challenges. And they're not, they were definitely, they're not shared from a place of, you know, you know, sort of grudgingly shared. They're just, these are the experiences and we need to, as men, look at the possibility that that, that happens. Um, that yeah. we need to be across it um, so that we can, you know, because we need the guys on board to change the culture, don't we? So really. Oh, um, yeah. And, you know, Susan, if I can just add something there. Sorry, I know you're wrapping up. I remember I had a real aha moment when I met the CEO of Diversity Council Australia and she was talking about diversity and inclusion and she said the interesting thing about, you know, women and sexism and discrimination is that women are not a minority group. Mm. We make up 50% of the organisation. Now, that's not to say minority groups are not also really important in this conversation. You know, I'm part of the LGBTIQ community. Yeah. But women are not a minority group. Actually, we make up more than 50% of the population. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's uncomfortable. I think a lot of it is not intentional that takes place. But if we're going to um, have better representation of females and more inclusion and more diversity, we can't do it with just women supporting women. It actually needs to be humans supporting humans. Yeah, and absolutely. men absolutely need to be a, a part of the solution, if not for themselves, but 
you know, their partners, their daughters, their sisters. Like when yeah. when you personalize it, um, it 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 changes it changes the conversation. Yeah, it changes the perspective, doesn't it? Because when you talk yeah. about it, like when you when you make it personal, you're talking about um, if you know you're talking about fathers who are um, who are, who have daughters, you know, and yeah. what do they want the world to look like and treat them? So the world of work to you know, treat them. So I think you're absolutely right. So, Nick, I'd like to extend my grateful thanks to you for taking time out today. My, my absolute pleasure. You're welcome. And thanks for inviting me. And um, I look forward to listening to your other leaders, your female leaders, um, share their answers to these questions too. I'm sure I can learn a lot yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely, because at this point in time I haven't had... Uh, one guest who has answered the questions exactly the same. So it's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really good. So thanks for being my guest on our Dare to Care podcast. Uh, whether you're a young woman who's already entered the workplace or preparing to or as an employer of women or even as a parent of a young woman, we can be excited and look forward to what the future holds. And I think an important takeaway, as always for me, um, is to make sure I'm positive about the future and what it holds because our young workers and our young women buy into that excitement with all its possibilities. So finally, if you have enjoyed today's episode, please give our Dedicare podcast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find, this, find us on Spotify and as of a couple of weeks ago, you can also find us on our Dare to Care website at www.dare2care.com. If you have questions or comments about the episode, please contact us via our, via our website, which I've just read to you, um, or visit us on Facebook. We now have our own podcast Facebook page, and you can find us on Facebook at Dare to Care Podcast with a two, number two, Dare number two care podcast and either leave a comment or private message us. We truly appreciate your feedback. Thank you for listening. I'm Susan Judd, and until our next episode, how are you going to dare to care? Thank you for listening to the Dare to Care podcast. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or find out more about HR Culture and Dare to Care by going to hrculture.com.au. been listening to another Morgan Media production.